Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, thanks so much for being with us. I thank you every time, but I mean it. I appreciate the fact that you uh, have chosen to uh, spend time with us here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. As I'm getting myself situated and seated in my seat to get comfortable for our conversation as we uh, are bringing back to our uh, our program, Maya Trey, uh, Ma and uh, her book, Into the Heart of the Infinite, yogama.info is the website we are encouraging you to go to, which we will be linked to. Uh, today, however, we are going to, um, well, we're going to continue our conversation. I asked her if she would be willing to come back, and she said absolutely. And we're going to talk about a number of things uh, that uh, we touched a little bit on uh, when we were together the last time. One of them will be uh, PROUT. We'll give you the uh, the uh, uh, expanded version of what that acronym means. But we're also going to talk about living love, the yoga of uh, yama and niyama. And we're going to talk about uh, the yogic principles and how they impact people's lives, as well as uh, the book and um, a bunch of other stuff that I think is going to be a lot of uh, information, but also we're going to have some fun as well. So uh, thank you for being with us again here on the program. It's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, um, this this aspect um, of yoga. Now, I don't know if I shared this in our last interview, but I the, the closest I was to yoga when I was a kid growing up was my mother uh, and I th I don't remember if it was, I don't think it was Jack LaLanne, but it was, I think, a PBS. Uh -huh. And PBS had a Hatha yoga program where she would stretch and move and the different poses and so forth. And we knew very little in the West about what yoga was all about. Uh, but we know a lot more today. Um, let's start with... Uh, the introduction to yoga that this country has experienced over, um, let's just put it this way, my lifetime of 60, <laughs> 63 years, again, as a kid growing up, watching my mom in front of the TV, uh, watching a public television and uh, um, practicing along with uh, them and where we are today, because it seems like, my heavens, there are so many forms of yoga some of them have sort of been made up like hot yoga, cat yoga, goat yoga, and the list goes on. So yeah. can you give us a little history lesson of sorts as you've seen it? Right. Well, yoga, first of all, to start out, yoga means to yoke. And it's actually a very ancient um, esoteric spiritual philosophy <laughs> that and it means to yoke the small self to the divine to to unite those and that's what the word yoga actually means and in that in in the practices of yoga there's eight practices of ashtanga yoga and one of one of them are is a hatha yoga or asana practice which we call yoga postures so, but when yoga was introduced to the West, um, I think it really first became popular with uh, Swami Vivekananda and his introduction of yoga it was like back in the 1930s, you know, uh, and, and yoga was actually a big craze around that time. 
And with uh, Swami Vivekananda coming out and and uh, coming to the Conference of World Religions that happened in Chicago and mm, forgetting the year, but back then, <laughs> and um, and then uh, that was the first introduction. And then uh, Yogananda came back with um, his uh, self realization fellowship, and all of that became a big movement and. Uh, and then there began to be all of these uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, this whole movement of all these different spiritual teachers or gurus coming to the United States and, uh, and to Europe and to offering whole paths of yoga, which included the yoga postures or asanas and meditation practices, and as well as the yamas and the niyamas, which we're going to talk about, and other practices. But then what happened, that was in the late 60s, early 70s to the mid-70s, and then slowly, slowly that dissipated. And in the 80s and 90s, you you got um, uh, Desika Char and uh, various, I'm blanking out on the names of uh, all the different yoga people who came over but they were they they were yoga people who really felt that the west wasn't ready for yoga so they were just going to introduce the yoga postures and they became very noted for you know ashtanga yoga and which is the it's the eightfold path it's not just a set of yoga postures or asanas uh, but they became very they really made yoga big in the West, but they made it big as a as a um physical practice mm -hmm. because they felt that that's they they knew all the other practices, but they didn't introduce them because they felt that the West wasn't ready for that. And so and they commercialized yoga as a physical uh, health practice and uh, or and especially as a body mind spirit practice i think some as a health club practice kind of thing but a lot as a body mind spirit practice that was really body based and um you know it, it brought a lot of people to the yogic path and as they begin to uh, take yoga teacher trainings and those became very popular they began to learn yoga philosophy to learn meditation and so on and and then meditation somehow got associated with buddhism rather than with yoga and then you had people meditating they all did buddhist meditation and they did yoga they did the yoga postures rather than uh, having that as a complete yogic system so that sort of happened too which is a little strange but it was just sort of how it that how it evolved in the west and it, so it originally came up in these more authentic complete forms and then got into the commercial form with uh, the introduction by a number of teachers of of the uh, uh, strictly the yoga postures, uh, focusing on that. Mm -hmm. Not that that's ever all that there was, but that's what those teachers focused on. Bikram, uh, Jessica Char, uh, uh, I'm blanking out on all the names of the different teachers right at the moment, but they that was their their uh, emphasis. But that really isn't all there is to yoga. Yoga is originally a 5,000 or more year old system of esoteric practices and esoteric philosophy out of which evolved 
Hinduism and Buddhism. They're both the uh, they've both come out of yogic practices and yogic uh, uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. It was with the Upanishads. Um, some of the early texts are uh, originally there were the Vedas, which were sort of formal, formal, and then the Upanishads began to really uh, write about esoteric philosophy. And then uh, came the Bhagavad Gita, the Ramayana, different texts. Uh, uh, and then finally, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras in uh, 200 AD. So those are those. that's kind of how it evolved. And then the religions sprang out of that as more exoteric um, applications of the philosophy. And if you compare yoga yogic philosophy, yogic teachings to, let's say, esoteric Christianity rather than exoteric Christianity. I think you find a, a great, or, or esoteric, any esoteric teachings, is, there tends to be a commonality in that. There are mm. spiritual teachings. Well, I know that, uh, again, uh, there are uh, so many different forms, as you've just described, but going back 5,000 years, it wasn't necessarily, as I think you've alluded to, uh, a a physical practice. It was meant to help to, um, I'm trying to find the right words here. I don't want to say control, but to um, bring into harmony, maybe bring into balance the mind, body, and spirit, because it's the spiritual, or I like to use the term metaphysical, uh, aspects of our existence yes. that is it goes beyond this life. Uh, I mean, I've 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 made this comment and and just just to try to elucidate the the concept. In the United States of America, we have these founding documents that have these principles, and they're wonderful in 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 one aspect. However, when it comes to the metaphysical life, they're irrelevant. Because there's no such thing as any of these elements that exist in our material world. We go beyond that. Yeah, like I said, there's nothing wrong with any of it. I'm not even I'm not passing judgment on it or being critical. All I'm saying is that these these concepts, they're they they are great for the physical world in which we live, but they they have no place in the metaphysical world, in the spiritual world. There's a whole different set of what can we say, quantum <laughs> aspects to the spiritual life? And that's what yoga, if I'm correct in understanding how you've been describing it, that's what yoga has is, is sort of all about, is to help us to make that, make that transition, even while we're still in the physical body, not leaving it per se. Although I've read Paramahansa Yogananda's book dozens and dozens of times, Ah, you like that book. I do. It's my metaphysical primer. Um, and uh, he, there's one scene uh, where he takes uh, uh, his his guru takes him to the theater to show him a a, um, a film and what have you. And he's not real thrilled. So they're outside the theater and he says, well, you want to see something fantastic? Stand by. Hits him on the chest. And suddenly Paramahansa becomes totally aware of everything around him 
not just 360 degrees horizontally, but vertically and in every way. He's aware of everything that's going on, almost a certain level of um, um, omniscience, something like that. I think that's the right word. Right. Not omnipotence, but omniscience, uh, sort of clairvoyance, but it's now encompassing everything that's around him. It seems to me that uh, that's not necessarily where we're, where we want to go, but that's one of the attributes that we will, it's kind of like um, the, the Bible passage, we will be known as, we will know as we have been known. Uh, and it's like, uh, we'll know the truth, not the truth, but the truth of who we are, where we come from, where we're going. Um, do you find that practicing these different forms of yoga gives your life uh, meaning in the sense that you understand why you're here and what your life's purpose is? Uh, yes. But it's not just the practices, it's connecting with divine energy. Uh, <clears throat> and that the spiritual practices, uh, there are different <clears throat> types. Yoga is divided into different types of school. There's bhakti yoga, which is just about devotion, right? And love of God. It's just going into divine love and connecting on that world. There's... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, jnana yoga, which is about training the mind and understanding that you uh, that you understand and you get it that everything is part of an interwoven, interconnected whole, and that there is a unit unitary wholeness of being, mm -hmm. and you understand that with your mind. Uh, there's also um, karma yoga, where you do good deeds in the wor world without a sense of ego about it without a sense of, oh, I'm not great, I'm doing all this, but but more, you know, just doing it in a selfless way and feeling like God is moving through you into the world. And, and you kind of get over yourself that way and you can really feel the that we're all connected. Mm. And, and then there's the Eightfold Path of Ashtanga Yoga, which is a body, mind, spirit path. There's also Tantra, there's also... There's 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 other other avenues, but in Ashtanga Yoga, there's eight eightfold path, and part of it is the yoga postures and taking care of your body and getting uh, your body prepared to be able to uh, incorporate the higher frequencies when the Kundalini Shakti energies rise in the body and the mind. And you feel those divine states of being. Your body is prepared because you've been doing these practices. So there's a psychophysical parallelism, you know, uh, and and that's where yoga really has its strength. I mm. think in Ashtanga Yoga, but also Bhakti, you know. But in 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 yogi practices called Bhakti, but in deep mystic Christianity, that kind of devotion that is called Bhakti Yoga is also very prevalent. You know, but there wasn't the uh, physical practices, the asanas, the breathing practices, the um, the psycho spiritual physical mm -hmm. balancing, body mind spirit balancing, and that's what Ashtanga Yoga really focuses on uh, is the eightfold path of mm. 
yamas and the niyamas, how you live in the world, uh, <clears throat> the meditation to deepen your spirit connection uh, to the universal whole and uh, move through the conscious mind and the unconscious mind to the collective unconscious and to the oneness. And then uh, asanas to balance the body so you can handle all that energy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I, I have to say um, that it's uh, it, it sounds to me like there is a there is a form of yoga that is there for can I put it this way for almost any um, any aspect spiritual aspect that you want to reach. I don't know if I want to use the word achieve because the spiritual life really isn't about achieving anything <laughs> per se. It's yes. just about being right. Yes. yes. And that's, you know, everything we do in life, we're, we're programmed, we're trained to acquire, to achieve, to do our best to accomplish and so we go into spiritual life and we think, I'm going to, I, I want to be enlightened. I want to experience divine presence. So I'm going to achieve that through my meditation. Well, but ultimately that doesn't work because you can't achieve it. There is a point where as you continue your meditation, everyone comes to a point of letting go. And it's through letting go and letting God, if you will, you know, through through deep meditation where you just let go, let go of your need to control, let go of your need to achieve, let go of your need to accomplish, and just surrender to what is and to that divine element within you. Because it's within everyone, you know, that it is a unitary whole that is within everyone. It's accessible by everyone. We just become so busy with life and all of our uh, needs and desires that uh, we don't always take the time. Those, But in most people's lives, those special moments come, you know, maybe you're in nature and you're looking out over the mountains or over the sea and you just go, ah, you know, and you just, you have a moment of connectedness and you feel that wholeness or you're with someone you love. And you have a moment of that wholeness. That's, that's the same thing. And in meditation and yogic practices, you're trying to cultivate that capacity, expand that capacity. So like that experience you described of Yogananda, that, that becomes more accessible. When did you start your yogic practice? I was in my early 20s. <laughs> And I did not, you know, in those days, it was in the late 60s, early 70s. And it was the time when yoga was being introduced by uh, yogic masters into the West. And I was living in Southern Illinois, you know, middle of a cornfield. I wanted to meditate and I was going to Southern Illinois University and I I didn't really find, you know, it's like, how, how am I going to find a guru in Southern Illinois? I got this book on how to meditate, and it said, you have to have a guru. I went, where am I going to find a guru in Southern Illinois? But then but then, uh, then, very next week, two meditation teachers came to town, and one was a TM meditation teacher, 
a Westerner, and the other was this Indian <clears throat> Swami uh, yogi dressed in orange robes. And I thought, oh, he looks like the real deal, you know. <laughs> and so I learned meditation from him when I, in my early 20s. And then <clears throat> I realized that he had a guru and that his guru was my guru. Um, and he was a, a teacher under that guru, teaching the meditation practices, the yoga postures. They taught the whole system of yoga. Um, unlike what you find today where you just go to a class and you learn the asanas and you don't necessarily learn the other practices. <clears throat> mm. So... So this was a classical traditional yoga as a spiritual practice. And that's how I learned it back mm. in the early 70s. And I had a lot of mystical experiences that led me to uh, connection with the inner guru and feeling Baba's presence within, and then uh, guidance to go to India and be with my physical guru. And so that sort of set me off on my journey. But you know, even though the, my journey has been through the yogic path, I feel it is a journey that is universal in that it's a, it's a, it's not a, it's not yoga. It is a journey of connecting with unitary wholeness, connecting with divine love, connecting with that which is deep and at the heart of every living being, and that that is the essence of of the path, whether it's yoga or <clears throat> any mystic tradition that you follow, that you want to go deep into your own heart and deep into the love that binds the universe, deep into knowledge and understanding of of the non-dual nature of, it, of existence. Mm. That is something, too, that we can talk about. We're talking here on the Tell, on Tell Me Your Story and... I am uh, uh, very intrigued by all of what we are discussing here with our very special guest, Maitreyi Ma. Into the Heart of the Infinite is one of her books. The other one we have been discussing as far as the yoga of uh, Yama and uh, Niyama, Living Love. Uh, it has been said that, oh, yes, there it is right there, folks. Uh, then you can get a copy of it at her website, which, by the way, we will be linked to yogama.info and uh, also on amazon i'm sorry say again on amazon as well my books are all on amazon and i'm sure we can get to amazon through your book and uh, through your uh, website as well uh, yeah. by clicking on the respective books and you have quite a number of books as a matter of fact uh that uh, you know we can kind of go down uh, and look at some of these you have uh, one also called uh, dharma for awakening and social change. I want to touch upon that for just a moment, if we can, because I use the term, you know, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. And um, wanting to find those new ways of living, because all you have to do is look around. The old ways don't work. Uh, so the new ways of living for the betterment of everyone, not just a select few, but there's a fly in that ointment, at least for me, and maybe it's semantics. I don't know. Uh, but you talk, for example, here in the in the subtitle for Dharma, for awakening and social 
change. But there are over 8 billion people on this planet and everybody, there are 8 billion different definitions or visions, if you will, for change or from my phrase, from, from, from my verbiage, you know what what is better to one person may not be better to the to another person how do we um how do we cross that juxtaposition when dealing with the multiplicity of of visions and 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 dreams for life and living uh, uh you know in this context of well i guess we can put it in the context of uh metaphysics or spirituality and living in the material world I think that's where the concept of dharma comes in. Um, dharma, you hear a lot in Buddhism about, you know, dharma. And you hear a lot in, in um, Hinduism about dharma. Yoga, it's a very big concept, dharma. And dharma, there's different parts of dharma. There's our individual dharma, which is, you know... <clears throat> You have an inclination for music, right? And you just want to do music, and that's mm -hmm. your dharma. That's that's your that's your um, personal expression in the world. That's kind of it's just something inside you that has to be expressed out in the world. That's your dharma, your individual dharma, right? Um, and we we each have, if we tune into ourselves, our own personal mission, our own personal. Uh, expression in the world that we that we're meant to do and and sometimes it's a stronger feeling for people sometimes it's more confusing but but it's there and sometimes there are things that come between us and our ability to express our dharma and so <clears throat> a lot of the things is that society should support you in that ability to express your dharma to mm -hmm. be to be the person who you want to be and not put a lot of roadblocks. If you're in a situation with wars and hunger and uh, really difficult life, it's really hard to live your dharma. And not many pe people's potential is lost, right? You know, the, the, they're, they're run over by the circumstances in which they are, and they, they don't get to be the full person that they can be. Mm. So that's that's a, how society and dharma connect, you know, is society being in alignment with dharma as well as the individual being in alignment with the dharma so that your individual potential, your individual mission in life can can be expressed. And th there's personal dharma, but then there's also um, human dharma. Mm -hmm. And in in traditional um, Sanskrit terms, it's called Bhagavad dharma. It means uh, earth, uh, your 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 deep dharma. And so the Bhagavad dharma, the uh, the human dharma is. We all have within us a yearning and a restlessness. And that restlessness drives us to, you know, from trying to acquire things to, we don't really know a lot of times what that restlessness is for, what we're needing. But when you really get down to it, we all need the same thing underneath all of the outer stuff. Everybody wants to be loved 
to have love, to be connected, to be whole, to be happy, to be complete. And so that yearning, that movement towards that wholeness of being, um, not as look at me, I'm great, but wholeness of being within the whole of, uh, within the universal love and the whole of being, that that movement towards that is is human dharma. It's it's mm. a, it's deep. It's essential in our nature to have that movement. Now it gets blocked by a lot of psychological issues and societal issues, and people veer off in different directions. But there there is. And I, it's my experience that this is true. There is this fundamental urge, and the urge creates, a lot of times people don't know what it is. They just feel restless. They just feel there's a certain level of restlessness and discontent that keeps you moving through life, right? Mm-hmm. Keep doing this and doing that and trying this and trying that. But why? What are you searching for? Yeah. You know, what is it you need that you don't have. What is it really that you need? Not that, oh, I get this and I'm cool for a while. You know, no. What is it you really need? What is going to make you totally fulfilled and complete? Not just sort of an image in your mind of what that would be, but what is it really for your soul, for your being? And the yogis of old said, that's that's to sink beneath this ego For the love of being where all things, all creation is part of one infinite wholeness, one universal infinite essence of being that is that we all share one um cosmic intelligent consciousness that in which the whole universe has sprung and abides within. And whether you call that God or whether you call that Brahma or whether you call that um, Allah, you know, whatever your word for that is, or whether you just call it consciousness or emptiness, people have lots of different words. Or in my book, I into the heart of the infinite, right? I mm-hmm. call it infinite. Whatever your word for that is, it's it's that place of wholeness where you're not separate. You love wisdom, knowledge moves you into letting go completely into this greater self. In yoga, they say guru, God, and self are one. And so when you sink into, you let go into, you can't control it. You can't acquire it, the human mind and it's not big enough, you know. You mm-hmm. can't acquire it. You can just let go into it and let it control you, let it flow through you, let you feel that every cell in your body, every everything about you is made of that infinite essence that of being that is in you and every blade of grass, every every animal. And in society, the principle that my guru put forth is neo-humanism, which is 
that you begin to see not only human beings, but all living beings as part of one, as having value, as part of one integrated, interwoven whole, and that each loves their life, each has value in themselves, and um, is part of the, the, the great network of life that is so often talked about in environmental circles now. Hmm. This is interesting because one of the other aspects that, and I think I shared this, uh, I think I shared this with you on our last uh, conversation, was the struggle that I had with the uh, the concept of dualism. And uh, that I personally uh, have a problem uh, with this dualism when I start looking at the two different levels of the universe, for example. Uh, there's the macro and then there's the micro view. And there's no judgment. There's no dualism. The universe on both levels is just doing what it does. That's right. But when we get to this level, the um, the I, 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 it, it still sounds weird to me in my mouth, but the mid crow <laughs> to try to keep try to keep the theme alive. Yeah, the mid crow a part of a human existence. There is more than enough judgment to go around, you know. And yeah. it's like, why can we not? come to uh, an understanding that it is just it, the, the events, we'll call them the events. So I could use the word challenge. I could use a lot of other words too, but the events that happen in our lives, they just are what they are. There's no, you know, and, and it seems to me like if we were able to if we were able to um, put that together in our heads, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Then we could make it through the these events without stressing the physical, mental, and emotional bodies that we inhabit. And not causing uh, stress and strain and discomfort and imbalance. And again, the list goes on. And then there's the other aspect of it. Oh, well, but maybe that's in my contract. That I'm supposed to, because this is, I'm supposed to learn something here. So that I can then move on to whatever the next level is. Does that make does that make sense in that respect? Can yoga assist us I, in I, that process? I think it does. I mean, my experience as a psychologist is that we all have struggles. You know, and as a person, I have never met anybody who doesn't have a shadow side, who doesn't have personal struggles in their life. You know, this is the human condition, and it's the condition like. You know, animals in the forest, they struggle. They struggle and they have times of peace and joy when things are good and there are times of struggle. And this is the nature of this level of reality. 
where we have the duality of self and other is that we have struggle. And mm. I, I personally think that that struggle, if, if we work it well in our lives, it, and if it isn't too oppressive by society that it just snows us under, uh, it is, the struggle is, it becomes an opportunity to get through our delusions about who we are and what life is and find a deeper truth to who we are and what life is. Um, and that's what I was talking about, Dharma. It, it allows us to uh, see what doesn't work <laughs> yeah. deep inside, to have compassion for other people and their pain. You know, if you can't accept your own anger, how are you going to accept anybody else's? If you can't accept your own sorrow and losses, how are you going to accept anyone else? How are you yeah. going to meet with them in a meaningful way? You know, it's you you got to do your work, you know? Yeah. And yoga, you, you know, everyone says, oh, if you meditate, there's a, this list of positive benefits, you know? And there are. It's no doubt physical benefits, mental benefits, and definitely spiritual benefits. But there is a, a little footnote at the bottom saying yoga helps you to blend your conscious and subconscious mind and your unconscious mind, which means that all of your mental tendencies, your karma, your samskaras, as they're called, the 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 reactions, mind mental reactions to all the experience you've ever had, which have formed your definition of self, gets challenged. Mm -hmm. You have to work with your stuff, and it's it's going to come up. And if you really do spiritual work, it will come up, <laughs> you know, because your soul, your spirit is wanting to, to open, to follow its path of dharma, to hold us. And um, I think that's part of the process. So, yeah, we have our shadows. And we assume the reality of them in us. We assume the reality of duality. We assume that there is the this physical world, which everything is separate, when it does have a relative reality to that. But mm -hmm. it doesn't have a... Beneath that relative reality, there is a solidness to all things are made of one substance. Everything is, you know, even um, even uh, physics is coming to that level of understanding for some of the uh, more esoteric phys ph uh, physicists that there is uh, in quantum physics a, a a universal substance, consciousness. There is something that that. Matter is not the base of the universe, that that is a 400-year-old, by the most advanced thinkers, now disproven theory, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that we're, that consciousness is actually the base of the universe, mm -hmm. and that um, we're beginning to, I think, as a collective, explore that and explore the duality we experience 
and how solid it is and how it's a dream that we're collectively dreaming. Hmm. Maitreyi Ma is my guest, and uh, we're talking about, well, of course, uh, a lot of the work that she does uh, that's available to you through uh, yogama.inf or info, yogama.info. I want to talk a little bit. I we will get into something else that, because uh, you mentioned uh, neo-humanism, and we, we can expand more on that. And, of course, Prout will get what that uh, all stands for. But I want to first go to one of your other uh, works, Um because of the way that, again, it's worded and uh, words have power and we yeah. choose the words we choose for a reason. And I like this particular book, Feminine Mysticism, Secrets of Empowered Feminine, uh, um, of Empowered Feminine, that's correct, of the Empowered Feminine. And though some might interpret that to mean that it has to do with the female of the species. It has to do, if I'm reading this correctly, it has more to do with the feminine attributes that we all, male and female, possess. Is that correct? Well, the book focuses on women, but I do believe that is correct. And I think that is said in there someplace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um It goes into a deep understanding of the relationship of men and women and how we're, we are focusing to um, our understanding of the feminine, both in ourselves and uh, as uh, the, for women and for men, you know, but, but what the feminine means. Um, and it goes into some understanding of the role of the feminine quality of nurturing, protecting, uh, supporting life, uh, as opposed to some of the masculine qualities of territorialism and the, the masculine being the outer protector of the internal family of the feminine and the child, right, you know, woman mm -hmm. and child. And so um, in that, it goes into, in this time in history, there, we, we, we had a time of matriarchy and we had a time of patriarchy, which is coming to a, a rather rocky close. And we're in a transition to a time where the masculine and the feminine are like two wings of a bird. Mm -hmm. And they, those two, archetypal qualities uh, live together in order to bring uh, a more sustainable world. Mm. And that for that, there's a rise of the feminine in order to empower the feminine to be more a part of, of that uh, equal standing. And do you think that that, that is something that has been, shall we say, misinterpreted by a lot of people because they're wanting to uh, create a world, if you will, uh, where because of the patriarchy that's been around for thousands of years, they want the matriarch. 
uh, aspect to rule and control. However, many of my guests, and 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 you may be among them, basically say eh, it's not about switching. It's, it's about so. balancing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Talk to us about that. Well, um, like you're saying, and I was saying, it's a bird with two wings, right? Mm-hmm. The balance of having both the masculine and feminine archetypal qualities. I mean, every individual can definitely have more of one or the other. They don't mean physically a man or a woman per se, you know, but um, having those two qualities in balance in the world so that uh, it's, it's not about reintroducing matriarchy. Matriarchy has had its day. Patriarchy has had its day. And what, this new age that we're coming forward into is is an age of balance. And uh, that balance is what's needed. But in order to literally, for the human race to survive, the feminine has to come up. That nurturing, protective, uh, not protective in the masculine sense, but protective in the feminine sense of guarding life, supporting life, caring about life, being um, connected in that way that that needs to rise. It, it can't be, it's been pretty uh, down there, you know, not, not equal in terms of power in the world, in terms of uh, influence in the world. And for us to survive what's happening right now, that has to come up and we need to have that balance between those two forces in the world, in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the rise of women in the world uh, <clears throat> into positions of authority, into influence. But, you know, women can rise in the world and get into positions of authority and basically become men, uh, you know, the same as the men who are in those same positions of authority using the sort of same archetypal dominance but having this other quality rise to the surface of, of the feminine and uh, bringing balance into the world. Yeah. Is that what you, is that what you've heard elsewhere? Yes. To bring balance into the world. Uh, and yet at the same time, there are these, again, other juxtapositions, other philosophies, uh, that teach, uh, you know, this is a schoolhouse. We're here to learn, and of course, the challenges that we, the that we face, the events that happen in our lives, they're here to, to mold us and so forth. And I often say, you know, I've heard that, uh, you know, being bullied and so forth, that's going to build character. It's like there's got to be another way, you know, because uh, it just seems to me that's a little too, a little too harsh, if you will, in that respect. But you know, who am I? I, I just, uh, I'm well, just a, uh, uh, terribly wrong in society. And, and there's a lot of bullying or there's war or there's poverty. You know, it, it, it you, you see the obvious impacts of mm-hmm. these movements in society, which are destructive to people. They, they create problems. They create you know, people who are oppressed become oppressors. You know, then that's the interesting paradox, if you will, uh, that um, 
it's like you become that which you fought against. Or do you not see that that's what you're doing? You know what I'm saying? And, and um, it's, it's just an amazing thing that, that um, some people, they just don't, they don't, they can't see the forest for the trees in themselves. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons why, and I'm so grateful seriously to the universe. They've helped that the universe has helped me in this, in this realm to maintain my, uh, humility, um, as an, at an early age, there were several things that were said to me when I was in my early twenties. Uh, one of them is that it is better to begin in doubt and end in certainty than to begin in certainty and end in doubt. Uh, the other was, um, it is better to be thought a fool than to open thy mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I took both of those uh, to heart uh, because I thought that it with only, I started in this business at the age of 19, at only 21, 22 years of age, I thought, man, I'm, I'm good. And the universe would do things to me or or lead me in pa on paths that would give me my comeuppance nothing dangerous or life-threatening just you know yeah you are good at what you do however and i say this with all humility i am not here uh, uh under my own power i got here talking with you because of the thousands of people who had an influence in my life and starting, I, I would have to say, starting with my parents. Uh, so I, I'm grateful to the universe for its, its uh, teaching, its guidance through all of the people that I've come across. We are truly part of an interwoven, interconnected whole. Yeah. And I will tell you, yeah, and speaking of the feminine, my wife is, an, is very empathic. And honestly, it it tends to drive me a little crazy sometimes because there's a part of me that feels as though I can't even have an independent thought. She already knows, and then she tells me how. I, I mean, I've I've seen the com comedians talking about this uh, on the different uh, YouTube uh, videos. Uh, the stereotypical, you know. Uh, I am so grateful that my my wife was in the car with me telling me there's a stop sign. You need to stop. There's a red light and so forth. Oh, my God. I I I don't know what I would do if you weren't here. That, that whole stereotypical <laughs> mocking, if you will. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do recognize that her importance in my life and her involvement, if you will, yeah, there are times when I wish that she would just let me do the driving because I know how to drive and so forth. And I oh, I saw the stop sign. I saw the red light. I saw the car over here. No turn signal. And he's moving into our lane. I'm backing off and so forth. Uh, you know, and it 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 there there is a certain level of um, and it is coming from my ego consternation. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why am I even here? You know, <laughs> you know, here, you get behind the wheel, you drive, and I'll just sit here and be quiet. Because if I tell her, oh, there's a red light or there's a this or that, there's there's hell to pay sometimes. Uh, and it's learning to accept the guidance the universe is giving me through her. Um, because guys, men, they have a hard time receiving instruction, if you will, 
receiving guidance, especially if they're in their ego. And yeah, I find myself there on occasion, but at the same time, I also recognize that that is one of the way the universe, that's one of the ways that the universe guides me through my life. Wow. So we, that, that must've been a, a process to come to that. I'm not saying I'm through it yet, but it, <laughs> it has been a process. Yes. Uh, it has very much, uh, very much so. And uh, especially when one starts to think about, well, okay, well, when I was first growing up and then in my first marriage, I didn't drive. I bicycled everywhere or I took the bus or I got a ride. Uh, when we would go bicycling, it was a tandem, a bicycle built for two. It was a lot of fun, too. Um, but she was totally blind, so she couldn't give me those kinds of instructions. I was There was a certain element of, you're on your own, buddy. Um, and then my second wife, who, you know, 2020 vision, and, and there we are. And when I first started driving, it wasn't, that wasn't there, but it is now. I mean, here I am in my 60s. You know, and there are times when, and I, I don't know, I, I will just say metaphorically, I bite my tongue and accept the guidance, you know, um, no sighing. Oh, geez, here we go again. No, because that, that doesn't help the situation. Right. And I, I think what you, what I'm hearing you say is that there, there's a certain kindness and acceptance that comes when you're with a person for a long time. And you and to work out relationship, and part of it is letting go of little stuff that you might otherwise react to, and mm -hmm. having kindness and care for the other person, you know, and understanding their need to tell you the thing that they're concerned about or worried about or whatever, you know. That's mm -hmm. that's kind of maturing in relationship, I think, you know, yeah. where you can. Um, have a little kindness and care for each other and each other's needs and each other's unique way of being and worries and concerns and all sorts of things. Yeah. And it is, it is, uh, uh, it is uh, most gratifying when I am out of my ego and uh, most appreciated that we're working as a team. I mean, you know, uh, you would That's think you're the happiest, right? When you are a team. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had some experiences recently where um, it's been it's been interesting. Where, and I'm I'm sure there are people who go through this too. Uh, I didn't share with you this information because I I knew uh, I knew how you'd react. Yeah, I suppose it was from a, a position of protection, protecting the person from having to deal with those emotions and what have you, because. I, I knew what you would say. I knew what where you would go. I knew the tears would come or the frustration or da 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 da. Well, I'm at a place now where um, I always could, but even more so now I have the permission. And then I'll get this reaction that I knew was coming. And it's the reason I didn't share before, but here I've shared and boom, here comes the reaction. Ah, but a few minutes later comes. I'm sorry for going off in that direction. You know, uh, it's not your fault. I, in other words, there's an apology and it's not like she owes it to me. 
Okay. That isn't the point. The point is that she then also recognizes where she went. Okay. With that information. Well, you're both growing in conscious awareness. Yeah. So that you can learn to live more deeply in love. Yeah. Not in conflict. Because two people, you're not the same people. You're not going to have the same reactions. But when you can actually care about what's happening with the other person, even if it drives you a little crazy and you could take ego offense at it, you know, then it then it becomes something that you can become a team. You can really work in harmony with each other. Yeah. And And that's in relationship. Yeah. And I think that that's extremely important for people to learn. One of the reasons why we're talking about this is obviously because the universe says, hey, we need to talk about this. This is important. Um, and um, it's 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 uh, it's one of those things where I, I, that's why I'm so happy. And it sounds kind of strange to say it this way, but I'm so happy that we went through the last three years that we did as a as a society. I mean, even as a planet. Um because it brought out as frustrating as it might have been for some people and you know, the pro and anti-vaxxers and all of this stuff, you know, we're not going there, but it's the fact that they then spoke about a year and a half in about a new pandemic that was headed our way. And I'm happy that it happened because we're now talking about it. And that's the whole issue of mental health and wellness and de-stigmatizing the conversation we're having the conversations now yeah and that's why i say i'm happy that that happened it's kind of like on one of the programs i said all right those who are who are listening or watching i want you to raise your hand if you're in therapy okay and i want you to know it's okay and we're not talking necessarily about a therapist that you're paying or you've got on insur- your, your insurance is covering. I'm talking about a network of people or maybe only one that you can go to and talk with and get it out. We all need that. Yeah. Needs that. And it's very hard when you don't have a good support network. Yeah. And having a, having a therapist is part of a support network, you know, a- along with good friends, you can talk to, um, just finding, you know, and I think it's important for each of us to uh, evaluate what is what is my support network. How do how do I get my needs met? How mm-hmm. what who who can I turn to when I something comes up and I I just need to talk about it? You know, yeah. Important to know know what your network of support is, and if it's not what entirely what you need, what what do you need to do to work on that? Yeah. To make well, work and again, that's the reason why I'm glad that I'm doing these programs. I've I've made reference to many, many times on this program over the the 15 plus years we've been doing this program, but also um, other programs that I've produced uh, and hosted <clears throat> interviewing people on these same concepts and philosophies um, for 40 plus years. Um, this is my therapy, too. I mean, there's been the observation by others uh, that, you know, Richard, I think maybe you share a little too much about yourself. You you know, maybe that's why sometimes you get into these little situations and so forth. And then I look at the situation, I'm going, what does my sharing of myself have to do with this situation? 
this person is going through whatever they're going through, which is not my responsibility. Okay. It's theirs. How does my sharing and being honest about me have anything to do with that? You know, but I don't necessarily verbalize that to the, to the person who makes that observation. I, I, I sort of do a self-evaluation, you know, okay, let me take a look at that. It, does that have really have anything? And I'm going, in this instance, for example, no, it does not. Uh, well, it has... Being authentic, um, yeah. you being authentic allows other people to be authentic. So it's it can be a way of bringing presence, and people relate to the stories, the experiences of other people, mm -hmm. and the yeah. authenticity of that, and that that is what creates meaningful dialogue that people can relate to. Yeah. We are talking here on Tell Me Your Story with Maitreya Ma and, of course, uh, yogama.info. Yogama.info will be linked to that website as well. This is her second appearance here on Tell Me Your Story. And uh, I don't think this will be the last. I think that uh, you'll be coming back a number of times to continue talk talking about the work that you are doing. I think it's uh, I think it's very important. And considering the fact that we have nine available slots a week on this program at the present time. Um, I'm very excited to have you back again and again to continue to, uh, whether we repeat something or we continue on with conversations on other subjects. Um, I'm just very, very excited about the, uh, the opportunity. So I want to thank you so much for being a part of uh, what we are doing here on Tell Me Your Story. Well, thank you, Richard. It's been great to be here again. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and um, I have three final questions. I've asked them of you before, and uh, you may give us the same answer. You may give us a different answer. Um, I think one of my favorite responses by one of my guests, who I'm going to have on again here shortly, um, with this first question, um, was total silence. And I didn't know what to do with that at first until I recognized, oh, oh, that's his answer. <laughs> And it was perfectly appropriate because whatever your answer is, is your answer. I don't like prompting people to their answer, uh, but I'll ask them anyway. But uh, before I do, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. That's nine opportunities for you to hear uh, great information from folks who are trying to make uh, make this a, a better world for all of us. It's uh, this, as I've said this before, it doesn't mean that this is an awful place and that we've got to, you know, fix it. Not to say that there isn't room for improvement, but that's kind of what we're talking about. There is room for improvement. So enjoy and be grateful for where you are right now and have a vision for the future. We hope that you will do that. While you listen to the uh, program streamed live uh, at those times at richarddugan.com, the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many others, many other locations on the internet, as well as a video of this uh, on YouTube, where we we hope you'll subscribe to either the podcast and or the video cast and also select notifications so that when a new conversation is posted, you'll have access to it. 
We also hope that you will support us financially. And we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And um, uh, we um, we hope that you'll do that. Put in my email address, richard at richarddugan.com. When you send uh, your support, we thank you, thank you, thank you for those who have helped and for those who will help down the road. We also hope that you will take time uh, out of your busy schedule uh, to um, spend some time going within during this, the decade of perfect vision to uh, just pause, just uh, listen to that still small voice. And with all of that being said, we go ahead and uh, ask these three final questions of our guest. Who is Maitreya Ma? Well, you know, you asked me that last time mm -hmm. and uh, my answer was a silence because I... It really, I've thought about it a lot since then, that question, because it, I couldn't answer it because it's open-ended. Who am I is, it just goes through all these layers of being into the one, mm -hmm. right? And so I don't have any place that it lands. Oh, I'm a mother. I'm a, yeah, I'm all those things, you know, but that isn't really who am I, you know, I am that love. I am that infinite wholeness. I am, you know, it was interesting because I couldn't really um, find any personal answer to that. That was, it, it, um, I'm many things, mm -hmm. and none of them. Mm. What is it that, and I've been working to phrase this uh, in such a way, but so far the the question is, what is it that, that gets you up and gets you motivated? Love. And finally, what was your best day? Uh, I can't think of one exact one, but I would say those deepest mystical moments where I felt that deep communion with the one. Mm -hmm. Well, Maitre Ma, I want to thank you again for joining us and sharing with us uh, what we've talked about here. It's been a lot of stuff. Uh, living love, the yoga of Yama and Niyama. And uh, we thank you so much for also sharing with us uh, Into the Heart of the infinite and encourage folks to go to your website, uh, yogama.info. And uh, thank you again for being with us. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story. And until our next broadcast podcast, video cast love to lol Jeanette. I am still listening. Dad continue to be happy. My dear friend, Smokey, I'll see you on the other side. And to my dear friend, Yazoro, aho, aho. <laughs>